0: Good morning, Chapel Hill. I am Mark Toon. I'm the senior pastor here, and we are really delighted to welcome you to our fall uh, kickoff. Um, I shared with you last week that Cindy and I took up something new this year. We took up bicycling. And, and we are now able for the first time to be able to, to bike our way out of the bowl that is Gig Harbor up to Cushman Trail without coughing up a lung. So we already feel like we're making uh, great strides. Last week I, I shared, I was teasing with you a little bit about averting your gaze because of my finely sculpted quads, which are a result of the biking. I didn't tell you the rest of the story, though. As I was writing that joke into my sermon, my computer auto-corrected. And so instead of saying, finely sculpted quads, it said, finally sculpted quads. <laughs> Even my computer is saying, really, you're finally going to do something about that drooping mass of flesh on your legs. So so there you go. After a wonderful summer, we are finally back home together, and this morning we are kicking off a new series, which you know now is called For the City. Say, for the city. city. We are for the city. We want to be for the city. I I saw some of our folks who are multi-generation Gig Harbor folks. There are not that many of them here. I know they're for the city, but we want to be for the city. Christians are sometimes, in fact, often known for the things they are against, aren't we? Wouldn't it be great if, in this instance, we are known for the things that we are for? If you ask a random person in the city, what is Chapel Hill about? They would say, oh, they loved our city. We will explore that question in the coming weeks. We're going to ask, what does it mean to be for the city? Not just living in it, but championing it championing Gig Harbor, championing Port Orchard or Tacoma or wherever it is that God has placed you... That's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come. I hope you can get excited about that. Nehemiah was a great champion for the city of Jerusalem, and he has a lot to teach us. And so we're going to turn to one of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. I think it's the greatest leadership primer in Scripture. And uh, we're going to start with Nehemiah right at the beginning. Nehemiah chapter 1, I want you to turn with me if you would. I think 398 is the page in your pew Bible if you care to read along with me. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read four verses to start. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us to have the eyes of Nehemiah? Would you help us to have your eyes as we look anew at our city and ask what we can do to champion her, to protect her, to lift her up before you? Do that in our hearts right now, God, and may it sustain us in the coming weeks, months, and years before us. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm sure you saw this in the paper two weeks ago. The congregants of Holy Rosary Church in Tacoma had quite a shock, didn't they? Uh, After an 800-hour study, uh, they were told that that iconic building is going to be destroyed. Holy Rosary was built in 1920. Its spire is 210 feet and towers over Tacoma. In fact, it's 50 feet taller than the Tacoma Dome. But after decades of neglect... Uh, It has fallen into real disrepair, and it would cost like $18 million to restore it. And the archbishop decided it's just not feasible. It's not going to happen. Predictably, there was outrage, and uh, Tacomans of all religious and irreligious stripes have risen up to uh, oppose this decision. Fundraising has begun in hopes that they can respond positively to this shocking news. But really, it shouldn't have been such a shock. Back in November, a 25, a twenty-five square foot piece of ceiling plaster had fallen into the choir loft. You think it's tough for us to recruit tenors? How would you like to be the music guy at that church? For decades, the the uh, fabric of this church has been degrading. So the fact that Holy Rosary is in terrible shape is it, it shouldn't have been news. And it shouldn't have been news to Nehemiah that Jerusalem was in terrible shape either. Why? Because it had been 150 years since Babylon had invaded them. 150 years! Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem for 18 long years and finally... Jerusalem succumbed and Solomon's magnificent temple was destroyed. The walls, the symbol of that city's power and identity were torn down. The gates, the gates that provided protection, they were burned. And this once proud city, this emblem of God's covenant with his people, was a burned out shell. And after the slaughter had been completed, the the remaining, those that remained, the brightest and best of them, were shipped off to Babylon to be assimilated into the conquering nation. That was the practice of the time. And so in one stroke, Jerusalem was decimated. It was one of the darkest moments in all of Judaism. But Nehemiah wasn't even alive when Jerusalem was destroyed. In fact, Nehemiah's great-great-grandparents weren't even alive when Jerusalem was destroyed. So this would have been like someone running up to you tomorrow at work and say, Did you know that there was a great war in the mid-1800s in our nation about slavery? And you say, You mean the Civil War? Yes, that, that one! Have you heard about that? It's just awful! And of course, it was awful. And this was awful too. But it was old news. Nehemiah was completely absorbed into this new culture of his. He had a great job, as we will discover next week. He was the cup bearer for the king, a position of great power and influence and luxury. He was still a Jew, but he had a new life. And the decrepit state of his long-abandoned hometown was the last thing on his mind. And then his brother showed up, along with a few chums from Judah. And after a warm reunion, Nehemiah asked the question you would expect him to ask. So how are things going back home? And the response was this. They said, you know, the very few, rem- uh, the few exiles who remain, they are in appalling condition, The the walls of the city are still broken down. The gates of the city are still burned down. In other words, they said, nothing's changed. Business as usual in Jerusalem. But for some reason, these words broke Nehemiah's heart. He was gutted. He writes here, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. That's a pretty dramatic response to 150-year-old news, don't you think? It didn't just make him sad. It didn't just make him melancholy. It made him depressed. He sits and weeps and mourns for days and days, as it turns out, about four months' worth of days. So what's the deal? Come on. Why so emotional? How did this old news suddenly grip him in a way that sent him to his knees? Well, the answer is, for the first time, he really noticed. For the first time, Nehemiah noticed what was going on. It wasn't that he hadn't known what had gone on, what had, how, how his ancestral city had been broken. It's just that he had never paid any attention to it. He had never cared that much to pay attention to it, to really notice Suddenly, though, in this moment, God gives him new eyes. God gives him God's eyes. For the first time, he has a heart for the city that he has too long ignored. The question that this begs of us today is this. Do you have a heart for your city? Do you have a heart for your city? Or do you just live here? Do you just inhabit the place? Does the welfare of your city matter to you? Because if this is going to be more than a motto, if if you're going to be for your city, if God is going to use you to bless and encourage or heal or shape the city, then the first essential thing is this. You've got to notice. We have got to notice what is going on around us. We have got to open our eyes to all of its beauty, but also to all of its brokenness. If this is your city, if Ygg Harbor is your city, we're kind of like Holy Rosary Church, honestly. The, the outer appearance of our edifice looks pretty darn good. It is beautiful. It is idyllic. The tourists love us too much this summer, in my opinion. <laughs> but if you look closely, you begin to discover the cracks in the fabric. For instance, marriage. You have no idea... The brokenness that is occurring in marriages all across the country, uh, all across the city, all across this church. I think it is a spiritual attack against the covenant of marriage, honestly. Or children. We have no idea of the pain that our children are in. Did you know that there was a rumored suicide pact among students in our district? Every week we hear in celebrate recovery stories about. Substance abuse and sexual addiction and rotten self-esteem. Or the volunteers in our Titus ministry who serve so faithfully up there. Faithfully every every day up there. They can tell you the stories of behind the apparent prosperity of Gig Harbor. Are these pockets of of poverty and homelessness. And it's only growing. It's only getting worse. And politically... I would say that our city is more divided and cynical and maybe even angry than I have ever seen it in my 32 years here. That's Gig Harbor. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that about your Gig Harbor? How about your Port Orchard? We're getting ready to launch a new church in Port Orchard. Pastor Megan is hard at work with her team. And if you're from Port Orchard, you would would recognize the words that are written on your Starbucks. It says, We are a people of pluck and determination. A people of pluck and determination. The locals will proudly tell you that that downtown has so much potential. And yet businesses that have been burned are boarded up and abandoned. Shocking to me when I drove in was to discover that the a the iconic a and hangout has been closed. Colleen Simpson is one of our elders. She's also serving as the volunteer fire chaplain. She was called to five suicides in that city last summer. What makes people so down on their own life? What prevents a a town that is full of people of determination and a town that is full of potential? What, What prevents it from being restored? And in part, I think it's because people stop noticing the brokenness. Cindy and I bought a Fixer Upper in downtown Gig Harbor, as we told you, along the way two hour, two days, two years ago, it just seems like two days, two years ago we bought it, and it had a, um, a really a hideous fiberglass roof over the deck, and we noticed it was hideous when we bought it, but we have been otherwise occupied with our house over the last couple of years, and frankly, over the months, it ceased being hideous to me, until last week. When I looked up at it and I saw, this is really hideous. In fact, it was so hideous, I got out my ladder, climbed up, and tore the roof off. And then I replaced it. And I repainted it. And it is less hideous. In fact, I sat on it last night without any drips and watched the most spectacular fireworks display of lightning that I have ever seen. How cool was that? So it's not so hideous anymore. Why? Because I stopped again and really noticed what I'd been looking at all along. To be for our city, we really need to see it. We really need to see it, both in its good and in its bad. God needs to open our eyes to see with his eyes. And what, what, what might that look like for you? Here's what it might look like for me. It means paying more attention to my neighbors. It means making sure I know all of their names. It means making sure I learn their kids' names. It even means knowing their dog's name. I know the next door neighbor's dog just fine. <laughs> Fuzz. It means noticing when they're gone on vacation, asking if you can take care of the paper while they're gone. It means checking in with them when they return and saying, how was it? It means recognizing that their their hedge is overgrown and offering to, to step up. It means... Noticing that your neighbor's normally manicured lawn is really overgrown. And so you find out that, in fact, she's having knee surgery and she cannot do what she used to do. To be for our city means that we're going to have to lift our eyes up from our own little existence, which we're content with, and really seeing what is going on around us. Our wonderful Mops ministry is going to start up again on the 26th of this month. Cindy, my wife, has been uh, invited to serve as the Mentor Moms leader, the leader of that Mentor Moms program, which takes seasoned moms and and introduces them into these younger women's lives. Mentor Moms have a four-word job description. That simple. Four-word job description. I won't give you all four. I'll just give you the first one. The very first job of the mentor mom is to notice. They're told to notice what is going on in their lives. To notice when they seem tired or sad or happy. To notice when their kids are sick. To notice when they are sick. Before you say a word. Before you give any mothering advice. Before you do a thing. They urge you first, just notice Nehemiah, for the first time in his life, really noticed what was going on. And it broke his heart. Nehemiah knew that God had desired for Jerusalem to be a place of covenantal blessing, a place of God's presence and abundance and bounty and peace. But it had become a place of ruin, both material and human ruin. And I'll tell you, God's desire for the city has not changed. God still longs to use cities. God still longs for the city to be a place where the Spirit of Jesus has access, where Christ can bring peace and abundance and blessing and unity. And one of the ways that God will do that is to cause His people's eyes to be opened and to notice who and what is going on around them. To really notice these precious human beings created in the image of God, saved by the redemption of Jesus, who have not yet experienced the blessing of Christ in this city or in their lives. Bob Pierce was the founder of World Vision, and he used to say that, May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Read that with me. May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. When God finally opened his eyes, Nehemiah's heart was broken, and it drove him to prayer. And most of that prayer was divided, devoted to one purpose. I want you to listen to another portion of the reading, starting in verse 5. And you tell me at the end of it, what is the primary focus of Nehemiah's prayer, starting in verse 5? there. Did you spot it? What is the primary focus of this, the first of many prayers in the book of Nehemiah? What is the focus of it? Confession. Confession. He is repenting of his sins. He's asking God to forgive him and to forgive his people. Forgive even his own family for settling for less than God intended. He confesses his own personal sin of disobedience and of apathy and he begs God To keep his covenant promises towards his city. Maybe that's our starting point, beloved. Maybe we need to confess as a starting point to be for the city. That we have settled for something far less than God's best for our city. Maybe we need to confess that it may be Babylon, but we just like it fine. Thank you very much. Maybe we need to confess that we've bought into the idea that prosperity equals happiness. Maybe we need to confess our indifference to our neighbors. And if, like Nehemiah, you've turned a blind eye towards the parts of our city, your city, that are in need of spiritual repair, if you cannot remember the last time that you prayed God's favor and blessing upon your city, then confess that. And this is how we're going to start to be for the city. We're going to notice with new eyes and we're going to pray. And 8 weeks from now I want to tell you what I hope will be our end game. And I'm I'm pro- I'm warning you it's very modest. But it could have great impact. This is not going to be a clandestine evangelism program. It's not going to be about growing Chapel Hill. There're not going to be any clever tips on how we redirect spiritual conversations towards spiritual things. Nope. This sermon series has a much more modest aim. We simply want you to make more friends. We want you to be for the city by being for the people of the city, for your neighbors, for the people that you meet on your morning walk, for the kids that you see playing in the parks, for our wonderful first responders, for our city government. The simple, unadorned, unapologetic aim of this series is to be more intentional about making friends, about being kind, about noticing and helping and celebrating and engaging in the lives of those who you can too easily walk right by and not even notice. And may I just tell you this, if no one else in this room needs this sermon series, your senior pastor does, my whole life is this church. All my relationships are inside this church. I do not have any friends outside the church. When I ask you to invite a friend to the baptism weekend, I always have a sense of guilt because I don't have an unchurched friend that immediately leaps to mind. I don't need lessons on evangelism. I need lessons on friendship. I need a kick in the butt. To make new friends. Jesus told me to love my neighbors. But I don't. How can I love my neighbors or like my neighbors. Or be nice to my neighbors if I don't know my neighbors. And so I am repenting before you and before the Lord on this. And I've already begun. Because I knew I was going to be preaching this. So I better get started. (laughs) That's the horrible thing about actually talking about this. I have already begun and prayed that God would open my eyes and I've begun to respond to what I sense He's telling me to do. That is how I can be for my city, to notice, to speak to, to care about, to pray for my neighbors, to make new friends. It's as simple as that. And if nothing more comes from the next six weeks than that 1,200 worshipers at Chapel Hill Church, each of them engage with one new friend, that will be a victory for our city. So that's what I'm going to be working on in the coming weeks. And I challenge you to join me in that. Let us pray. Like Nehemiah, Lord, I say I am sorry. I'm so sorry that I get wrapped up in my friends, in my church, in my circle. This is a wonderful church family. I love them. And I sometimes feel as if that's all I need. But it's not about what I need. It's about what those who are outside of the church family might need. It's about those that we saw described on the screen who don't have any friends anywhere. Who are lonesome and uncared for. It's about having an eye to see that. And so God, I repent of that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will inspire me and open my eyes to see what's really going on around me. That I will learn names That I will pay attention to rhythms of lives. That I will invest myself into what is going on in those relationships. Not with ulterior motives. Not with the stroke of, not with the idea of of notches on my belt. Simply because you love them. And, And you long for them to know your blessing. So God, would you do that in me? And I pray that you would do that in every person seated here. I pray that we would repent of indifference, of apathy. That we would repent of self-sufficiency and satisfaction with a handful of relationships that are con- we are contented with. Make us better friends. Make us noticers of life. Make us champions for your city. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, who wept over the city of Jerusalem.